Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 19, but before we do that, we're going to read our uh, sermon title this morning. It's been the same way. Some, uh, Bubba asked me, he says, uh, when do you, uh, how long are we going to go in this sermon series? And uh, uh, the truth is, is uh, probably, uh, into, uh, probably well through into September we'll be finishing up. So it's just going to take a while, but I'm determined uh, to uh, make sure and take the time with you so that you understand uh, when, when, you all, when you leave from studying this with us, you're going to know, you're going to have a good grasp on uh, eschatology, right? Es- eschatological events, right? Love saying that, all right? Uh, the end times, the uh, study of last things, that's what that is. So I hope you'll have a good understanding of, of that. We've been in this now for several weeks, but if you're coming here and hearing it for the very first time this morning, that's okay because I can catch you up to speed pretty quick. Um, and so don't worry about it. I can at least get you through the steps of it. Uh, so let's look at this because this is one thing that uh, we're going to climax with. See, Um, The Bible, from Genesis to the book of Revelation, points to one person, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. It starts way back there in the beginning when God created the earth and Adam and Eve fell. You see, because Adam and Eve sinned against God and there had to be a payment for sin, right? We know this because the Bible says when they sinned, they knew they were naked. And what they did was they went and hid themselves from God and they tried to make themselves their own coverings using fig leaves, right? And so they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover their nakedness. And when God came, came to them, he says, uh, why'd you hide? And said, we're naked. God said, who told you you were naked? Because they didn't understand they, sin had not entered the world. Once sin entered the world, they realized it became real to them uh, in a very quick way. And so God did this. The Bible says that God made coverings of skin for Adam and Eve to cover their nakedness. Guess what happened when God made those coverings of skin? He shed the blood of two animals. To make sure that Adam and Eve's sin was covered. The blood, the shedding of the blood uh, was the covering for the sin, right? It was symbolic of the future Messiah who would come and shed his blood to cover sin. The shedding of the blood of the animals was a picture. And it was a picture of the coming of Christ All the way until Jesus came. So we understand that. And the Bible says when God pronounced curses on Adam and Eve, he looks at Satan and he tells him that, or he looks at the woman, I'm sorry, and he tells him this is what's going to happen. There's going to be someone coming from your line, uh, someone to come and he will crush Satan's head. 
He will, he will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. That's found in Genesis chapter 3. That is a picture or a prophecy of Jesus coming way back there in Genesis 3. And so the scripture points to Christ being king, ruling the world from way back there and giving us the opportunity to be saved, to rule and reign with him. So we understand that Christ will one day return and he will be seen by the whole world. Uh, I'm going to talk about this later on in the sermon, but there was something that happened this week that really disturbed me, and I hope it disturbed you. Um, and and uh, uh, you've you got to catch the right news media that will report these kind of things. But you know those Portland riots, that they are literally piling up Bibles in the street and pouring gas on them and burning them? You all know they're burning Bibles in Portland? You know, uh, and the reason why is because they're rebellious against God, right? Now, I want to tell you something. There's going to be a time coming when people like that, when Christ sets foot on the earth, there will be no rejection of who he is, and there will be no rejection of God's word right now. We have a choice to do that, but when Jesus returns in the second coming, no one will have a choice. Everyone will know that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I promise you, there will be not another Bible burned. Right? So here's what we read. Behold, ready? Read it, church. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. And, every, and even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. You see, everyone, when it talks about that wailing or that regret, everyone at that point is going to know, man, I should have... I should have submitted to Christ as my Savior a long time ago because they're going to know. Uh, this morning, if you, you're here and you have not given your heart to Jesus, you know what? You're going to have an opportunity to do that today. Uh, I would suggest right now, as you're in earshot of my sermon, I want you to hear me hear this, that right now is a great time to give your life to Christ, to bow the knee to Him as King of kings and Lord of lords and make Him King of your heart. Uh, right now is that time. You don't want to wait till later. Do it now while you can do it of your own free will. God's given you a choice. Don't, don't wait till he comes back and have to do it then. Okay? So just, just a little reminder, a little encouraging note there. All right? So uh, let's look at our chart here. I want to I take some time. Now, I know some of y'all have seen this over and over again. You're thinking, man, he's going to go through this every Sunday. Well, here, I want you to look at the person next to you. I'm going to put that back in a minute, honey. I want, I want you to look at the person next to you. If you're, if you're tired of seeing this, look at the person next to you and say this, get over it. <laughs> all right? All right? It's going to be all right. Say, it's going to be all right. Because, because, yeah, get over it. It's going to be all right. Say that. All right? The reason why is because, first of all, we got people coming in all the time that need to be caught up. The next thing is, it doesn't hurt for you to be reminded every week of how this works, okay? It's good for your memory, so don't worry about it. Say, don't worry about it. All right. I guess I'm worried about it, so now I don't want to be. All right. So, where we're at right now in this chart is right there where it says church age, right there in that, in that line right there, in that, I guess it's a gray box, who knows, I don't for sure. Uh, but church age, that's where we're at. Right now, we're in this amazing time. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came for the first advent. Everybody say the first coming. 
All right, that's when he came and he walked on the earth. The Bible says, and we're going to read that verse in a little bit, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus came and walked the earth and we saw what God looks like. Amen. He walked the earth and he saw, we saw what God looks like and we, he also did this amazing thing for us. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person has fallen short of God's glory. So we all have sinned. You needed someone to pay your sin debt. Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? So he died on the cross where our sin shed that blood for us. So that we could be forgiven. And it goes on to say in Romans 5 and 8. For God demonstrates his love. Say he demonstrated his love. In that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You see uh, that's what it's all about y'all. And I will tell you something. That gospel. The Bible says that gospel has got to be preached. And preached and preached. And taught and taught and taught. And some of you may say, man, that gospel, I, you know, so I hear it all the time. Well, it doesn't hurt your ears to hear it all the time. It's really good to hear it all the time because that God's grace in that gospel, let me tell you what that is. That is an ocean. That is how we live our life. That's how God gives us abundant life to live for him. That is, that is an incredible, deep, incredibly great promise that we have that Jesus died for us, that God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait for us to get better. He's not waiting for you to go, you know, I hear this all the time. Man, pastor, you know, because I know people and they, you know, uh, I'm kind of one of those guys that likes to hang out in the roping pen and, and, and go to places where, well, you know what, I, I can't reach people for Jesus most of the time in church. I've got to go places where people don't know Jesus. So that's what I try to do. And I get out there and I hear these kind of things. Well, I, I want to come to Christ, but first, everybody say, but first. first. Right? Y'all have heard that? I'm going to quit drinking. Well, don't do that. Don't quit drinking. Come to Jesus and let him deal with that with you, all right? I'm not telling you don't quit drinking, but don't quit drinking and wait and come to Jesus, right? All right? All right what about this? Well, you know, I... I, I want to come to Christ, but, you know, I don't go to church all the time. And I feel guilty because, you know, I want to get my life together. Start coming to church. I'm going to start coming to church, and then I'll give my life to Jesus. Do you know that you will not fall in love with the church apart from Jesus? That you got to give him your life first and let him make you love the church? Because then, then you'll really love it, right? So, so quit trying to do all, quit trying to do everything's up, everything up front, the Bible says, it's by grace you are saved, not of your works. Look at the person next to you. You ain't working for it. Now, I live, I'm telling you, I pastor a church that has a working culture. These people, you people are the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. It's crazy. And, and just incredible how you support this church. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the way you support our church financially and all the things you do. You, God is using you in a powerful way. You're hardworking people. Right, So a lot of times it's really hard for someone who works really hard to accept a gift. So we think we have to work for it. I'm going to tell you this is one thing you cannot work for. You have to accept the free gift of God's salvation. 
And it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As simple as that. So don't pass up God's grace in this church age right now. Let him give it to you. He wants to give it to you. He wants to give you eternal life. So we talked about that, and then something's going to happen. Something incredible is going to happen. Jesus is going to call the church to heaven. Boom, just like that, we're going to disappear. The Bible says we'll be caught up in the clouds to meet him in the air, and he's going to take us to heaven for seven years. The church will be in heaven. And while that seven years is going on, uh, we're going to, uh, the church is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's not a bad judgment. That's a good judgment where, we're t- where Jesus judges our works. It's not a judgment whether to see we get into heaven or not it's a, uh, because that's already decided from the cross. It's a judgment to see what works we did on earth actually make it into heaven, right? That's what that is. And uh, that seven years is going to be the seven-year tribulation time. We just got through talking about that. During the time the church is in heaven on earth, right here on this place, when the church goes up, the seven-year of the most horrible, awful time in the history of the world will be taking place on this earth for seven years. Um, We talked about that. And then we got to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which we talked about last week. And And today, the second coming of Christ. Now, the one thing I want you, do not mix up these two events. Do not mix up the rapture of the church where Jesus takes the church to heaven with the second coming of Christ. The Bible says the church will meet Jesus in the air. We will go to be with him in heaven for seven years. At the end of that seven years, Christ will return. Everybody say second coming. He will land on the earth. He will step foot on the earth. And when Christ steps foot on the earth, he will be king. And he will rule the world for a thousand years right here on this earth. So all you people that are saying, well, you know, I think the world's going to end pretty soon. The way I figure is this. Uh, We still have the church to be raptured, seven years tribulation, and then a thousand more years after that, it's still going to be here. So we got a while, right? So settle in. Everybody say settle in. Right? Okay. So uh, Christ is going to come in the second coming, and we're going to actually talk about that second coming this morning. What's that going to look like right now? So let's read uh, Revelation chapter 19. Start there. Then I saw heaven open. This is... After the tribulation period is ending, seven years is over with. Now the thousand-year reign is about to begin. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Everybody say white horse. horse. Right? Then one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were were following him on white horses. Everybody say white horses. I don't think I've ever owned a white horse in my life. You know, I'm partial to bays and duns, but I I was kind of hoping I could ride one of them out of heaven, but God says I'm going to be riding a white one. So there it is. Um, goes on to say, uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to, which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord 
of Lords. Okay, so just a minute before we go on, I want you to picture something with me. Just let's have a let's take a mental picture in our head. All right. So um, I want you to picture this. You're in heaven. And that angel cries out and he says, Behold, the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. The marriage of the Lamb is ready. And what's going to happen? And he said, Blessed are those who, in, who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's something going to happen here. Uh, the church is considered the bride of Christ. And I told you why. Because Christ is our protector, our provider. He is the one who gave himself for us. And the Bible gave a picture of the husband and wife in the scripture. And it says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church who loved her so much that he gave himself for her. So I had this picture. And in the marriage supper of the Lamb, there's going to be some kind of great big ceremony that's going to take place at the second coming of Christ. Where we're going to celebrate Christ's victory before all of humanity. People are going to look at it and they're going to see it. And you know what else is going to happen? It says that, that there's going to be those who are invited to the marriage supper. God's different programs. That's Old Testament saints like Moses, Elijah, and Abraham. All those guys are invited to the marriage supper. Oh, the, uh, the people who were killed uh, during the seven-year seven tribulation that tr gave their lives to Christ, they're going to be invited to the marriage supper. So there's going to be this great marriage supper of the Lamb, this great celebration that happens on earth. And uh, Christ will be leading the charge. And it, this is what it says. Now, I'm going to go back to that in a minute, but look at this right here. Next slide. Uh, if, you, if you could picture that heaven open up and you're there and all of a sudden things are descending on earth. Think about being on earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation and looking up and seeing the clouds disappear or being the sky just literally being rent or ripped open. And here comes Jesus on a white horse with the armies of heaven following him. That's what it's going to look like. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be an incredible sight. And so look at, look at there's a couple of things we need to look at here. First of all is this, our Savior is faithful and true. The Bible says in Revelation 19 and 11, Then I saw heaven open, and re let's read that. Next, next slide, Nadia, there we go. Let's read that underlined, a really bold part in the red. Okay, let's read that. Ready? Behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called what? Faithful and true. I want you to think about just for a minute what is faithful and who is faithful in your life. Just for a minute. Because, you know, there's a lot of things on this earth that, that I, a lot of people that I found faithful. That have been faithful friends. My sweet wife has been my faithful friend for 32 years. We have, uh, there's faithful people, true people in my life. I found it. But, you know, as, as long as I'm being honest here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Even the most faithful people I know, even the most true people I know have at one time or another failed me just as I have failed them. That's just the honest truth. We're not perfect. Not one single person. You will never be the faithful person that Christ is in his faithfulness. You know, I think about, uh, I've got an old dog at home. His name is Oki. Oki is as faithful as they come. 
you know, and he, he, he's like right there all the time. Uh, but not, not even those things will, will even measure up to the faithfulness of Christ. The one thing is, this is what I want you to understand. When those clouds roll back and Christ appears, the whole world's going to understand how faithful he is. You know, there's a song called, I think I've probably recited it to you before, it's called, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. What he says he will do, he will do. Every morning his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Let me tell you something. As sure as I'm standing here, as sure as I'm preaching God's word to you right now, as sure as you're sitting out there, it's as sure as that Jesus will return. He said he would. And everything that Jesus has said he would do, he has done. He said that I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to give my life for mankind down on the cross. He did it. You know what? That's, his, that's an historical proven fact that Christ died for your sins. You know what else is pretty much historically proven? He rose again on the third day. You know why? Because those Roman soldiers and those Roman authorities, they tried to find a body and could not find one. Uh, his disciples went out and preached the gospel after Jesus rose, uh, and they gave their own lives for what he had done for them. They sacrificed themselves because they were preaching the resurrection of Christ. You know why? Because Christ appeared to them after the resurrection. What crazy person do you know that would go out and give their lives and preach something if it was a lie? But those disciples, they went out and preached it because it was the truth, and they gave themselves for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because our Redeemer is faithful and true. He who sat on that horse is faithful. He will do what he says. He will do. And Jesus said in his own words, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Jesus is faithful to his word, and he's true. He is as true, well, he is the truth. You know what scripture says? John chapter 3, or chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your Redeemer is true. Your Redeemer is faithful. I'm telling you what, there's going to be other things. There's going to be other people that let you down. But here's the truth. Jesus will never let you down. He is faithful and true. And there are those of you that said, well, yeah, but I've sure let God down. Well, I want to ask you a question. If you think you've let God down, I want to ask you one question. You answer it honest in your head. When in the world were you holding God up? But if he's holding you up, you can't let him down, right? Your Redeemer is faithful and true. Look at what Jesus says. And this is what I mean by true. Jesus said these words at the end of the book of Matthew, toward the end. Let's read that right there. Ready? 
Immediately after the tribulation, so when it's over, this is going to happen. Of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And ready? Let's read it. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What did I tell you? Jesus is faithful and true. When Jesus says it, it's the truth. You can stand on it. You can believe it. And church, he's coming back. Look at what it says right here. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, this is the high priest at Jesus' trial, by the way. Uh, he's asking Jesus what answer he has. And Jesus says, uh, you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is faithful and true. Jesus says, I'm coming back. And you can believe it. What's that? You can take it to the bank. Right? Amen. You can put that in your pipe and smoke it. Right? <laughs> Whatever you want to say. But you can darn sure believe it. That Jesus is coming back. I promise he is. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind Jesus is going to return. And when he does, there will be no question who's king. None at all. Uh, you won't be king. I won't be king. Not even President Trump. Bless his heart. He won't be king either. <laughs> Jesus will be king. Right? Our Savior is a righteous judge. And I believe President Trump knows that for sure. Jesus, our Savior, is the righteous judge. Look what it goes on to say this. Revelation chapter 19 and 11. Then I, I saw heaven opened up, and behold, him who sat on it, or behold, a white horse, and the one who's sitting on it is what? Uh, he is faithful and true, and he's righteous, right? So um, Christ is a righteous judge. You know, I, I like it when people talk about getting judged. It's so funny to me, you know, because, you know, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not one to point out people's wrongs. I sure don't like when people point out my wrongs. I don't like it at all, but, you know, it, it needs to happen sometimes. I need to be squared away, um, it, but we don't like it, do we? And we think, you're judging me, right? You ever had anybody tell you, quit judging me? Have you ever told somebody, quit judging me? Mm-hmm, right? Well, I'll, can I tell you something? <laughs> um, just because somebody points out a uh, flaw, but I'm not saying we should harp on each other's flaws, because we shouldn't, right? The Bible tells us we're to build each other up. We're always harping on each other's flaws. I always tell people, man, if you want to find some wrong in me, you can sure find it. You don't have to look very far, and you can start judging right away, right? People can always find flaws in us. That's not a, that's not a, well, if we understand we're sinners, then flaws are found. I always kind of look at the church like this. Well, see, and this is the difference between judgment and helping people, helping us with our faults. Um, because um, if someone falls in a pit and they're all muddy and nasty in that pit, and you look at them in that pit and you walk by and you say, hey, you're in a pit and you're muddy and nasty and you stink. Right? We look at them like that and we walk on. Well, 
We've not done anything. We really haven't passed any sort of a judgment. We just made a statement about somebody who was muddy and nasty and stunk in a pit. But the church's purpose is this. Hey, you're in a pit. Stinks down there. You're muddy and nasty. Here, let me give you a hand. Let's get out of that pit. See, that's our purpose. That's not judgment. When Christ judges, when he comes to judge, that's a whole different ball game. Um, at this point in time where Christ judges, he's going to pass sentence. And that's not going to be good. So he is a righteous judge. Why is he right in doing this? There's a lot of people that don't understand why God is right in his judgment. Why does he, why, why did, how can he hold us to such a standard? Well, you know, he has a place called heaven. It's beautiful. It's sinless. There's no fault in it whatsoever in that place. It's the perfect place to live. You know why it's the perfect place to live? Because no one has gotten in there apart from the judgment of God. Some of you came in this morning and you're looking for the perfect church to attend. Well, when you walked in, you messed it up. <laughs> yeah, so did I. It's okay. I guess we're the perfect church for people who aren't perfect. Amen? Right? So, um, naturally... God is right because he's not going to let you into heaven apart from judgment. He can't let you and he can't. We already screwed this up down here on earth and sinned in here. So he's not going to let us into heaven and bring sin there. Is God right for that? Is he right? Because he's perfect. So how did that happen? Well, let me tell you how that happened. For you and I, it happened like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love toward us. And while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took your judgment so that you could have his perfection, his righteousness, and go to heaven. When Christ comes, his judgment comes with him. He's a righteous judge and he's right to do it. Also, it says he makes war. Next slide. He judges and he makes war. It says this in Matthew 24, next slide, please. 24 and 27 through 28, it says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, this is kind of... Uh, hard but it, I, I want to tell you all how this is going to happen in a minute it says but and wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather um, this is this the truth okay 
uh, kind of describe this to you. When the second coming approaches, the kings of the earth, it says in the scripture, they're going to gather up all the armies of the world. And they're going to meet in a place called Armageddon. It's going to be a war that takes place there for several, for a long time. It's not just a day. But Christ is going to get his belly full and they're, they're actually, they're against him and he's going to return. And the first thing he's going to do is wipe out those armies. I'm going to tell you how in a little bit, but he's going to wipe them out just like that. We're going to get there. But so he's going to, well, he's going to make war and he's going to end the war. That's one thing he's going to come, going to happen when he comes in. And then our savior is indescribable. So, um, I need to wrap this up. It says, His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head are many diadems, and his name is written that no one knows, but he himself is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That just represents his vengeance. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. That is... Right there, that, that, that phrase is used throughout Scripture, the Word of God. And I told you, and we're going to wrap this up right here, but I told you that the Scripture points to Jesus from beginning to Revelation. The Word of God here written literally means the divine expression of God. That's what it means. When, when you read this and you read the word of God, that's what it's saying. The divine expression of God. So we see this, this word right here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word. Everybody say the word. And, what, and the, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him uh, was not anything made that was made. First of all, I want you to understand something. When God, here it is, listen to me. I, I mentioned about them burning Bibles in Portland, Oregon. And, and you know, that just turns my stomach. It really does. But I want to tell you something. Um, there's something powerful about the Word of God. And no matter how many Bibles are burned, it doesn't make any difference. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You can't, you'll never do away with it. Scripture decide, describes Jesus at His second coming as the Word of God, the divine expression of God. It's like God spoke his love into existence in Christ. Right here, it says in the beginning, the, the logos, the word is logos, the logos of God, the divine expression of God. It was there. It says Jesus was there. And when God said, let there be light, say the word of God. Look at the person next to you and say, God spoke light. He spoke the light into existence. Not only did he speak the light into existence, he spoke the world. His words spoke the world into existence. He's the word of God. Jesus was there. If we go on, it says right here, and the, ready, read it, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see that 
In Christ's first advent, he's described as not only was he there in the beginning, but uh, 4,000 years later, he shows up on earth and he's walking on the earth. And he is the word of God, and we saw him. The divine expression, the logos of God is Jesus. And then John describes it like this. That which was, ready, from the beginning. Let's read it, church. From the beginning, which we have what? Heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. And which we looked upon and have touched with our hands conquering, or I'm sorry, concerning the word of life. The logos. The divine expression of God. We experienced it in Christ. And it says... The name that we will recognize, that everybody will recognize when Jesus is descending on that white horse is this. That he was from the beginning. He is the divine expression of God fleshed out. The word of God. And not to get too far ahead because we have to close, but this is what's going to happen. The Bible says out of his mouth becomes a sharp sword. And that's what he will use to conquer the nations. Just as sure, I told you he's faithful and true, just as sure as God spoke light into existence, just as sure as he made the world by his words, just as sure as he said, let there be the heavens that divide the heavens, let there be land come up from the water. He, as soon as he said it, it happened, and he made the animals, the grass, and the trees. As soon as he, as sure as he said it, it happened. When those armies gather at Armageddon, and Jesus returns on the white horse, we're going to get to this next week, says the armies of heaven are with him, you're going to be in that number along with the Old Testament saints, the martyred saints of the tribulation period, we're all going to be together and we're going to follow Christ into the battle of Armageddon, riding white horses. Now you may say, well, I'm not much of a warrior. Well, you're not going to have to be. Because you're there to show the victory of Christ. Christ isn't going to come swinging a sword or shooting a machine gun. Throwing hand grenades, rocket propelled grenade launchers, none of that. No AR 15s, no AK 47s, no bandolier belt on the magazine, no, no combat clothes. He's wearing a robe dipped in blood. But the Bible says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. You know, when they went to crucify Jesus, we read about in the book of John, they go to the garden, and Jesus is standing there, and he looks at them, and he said, they say, he says, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus, paraphrased. We're just looking for Jesus. And the Bible says, he said, I am. Now, for English reading purposes, we read, I am he. 
But the Greek text says this when Jesus answered them. He said, I am. The Bible describes God as the great I am. Right? Jesus said, I am. Said at the moment that he spoke these words, I am. Read it. Go to the book of John. Read it. It says they drew back and fell to the ground. At the very words of Christ, they couldn't even stand. All those armies, all those Bible burners, all those people that are so against Christ and against his word at his coming. I don't know what he's going to say, but all I know is something's going to come out of the mouth of God and it's going to wipe that army out at one time. Just like that. King of kings and Lord of lords. You know there's a song. Ben, y'all can come on up. And uh, um, it's called Victory in Jesus. You know, know that song? They're not going to sing that. But it just came to mind. Because I want you to think about that. It says, you know, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory. And he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And the chorus goes, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. I loved him and I knew him, and all my love is due him. Christ has given us victory today, right now. We don't, the, the, the wonderful part about all this sermon and, and everything, I want you to understand it for what it is and its truth. God is faithful. He will do these things. But the great thing about what we're learning is this. Right now, we're in this incredible time where you can just give your life to Jesus and experience victory right now. See, Christ he holds the victory. He's, the, he's victorious. And if you give your life to Jesus today, you will be, be victorious with him. I want everybody in here to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm just going to pray with you. This morning, if you need to give your heart to Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. Don't wait anymore. Don't wait till you start coming to church. Don't wait till you quit drinking. Don't wait till you quit cussing. Quit all, that, quit all that worrying about that. Let God deal with that. God wants to save you by his grace. Quit trying to straighten your life out before you accept Jesus. Accept Jesus and let him take care of that, and he'll do it in his time. He'll work. Believe me, he's a graceful God. So as I pray with you, you just simply just pray with me and trust Jesus. You may not know how to pray. Let me help you pray to trust Christ and give him your heart right now, and he'll do it. As we pray, simply pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I believe you rose again on the third day. And you have eternal life. And you can give it to me. I ask you to come into my life. Become my Savior. And my Lord, I make you my king. And it's in your mighty name I proclaim I am saved. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for those that prayed for the very first time and ask God that you'd bless them and be with them, Lord, as they've given their heart to you. 
And I pray, God, that you would work mightily in them. Pray that you'd give us an opportunity as a church to reach out to them as they have given their life to you for the first time this morning, for the first and only time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we close the service, if you prayed that prayer with me, do me a favor. Uh, when you walk out the door, grab one of those, those square cards right there, put your name and your phone number on it, leave it in the offering box, and I'll come see you or I'll call you on the phone. We'll talk about your decision for Jesus. So please do that when you leave today, before you leave. Just take a minute, grab one, pull it off the side, fill it out, drop it in the offering box. Simple and easy, okay? Let's stand up and uh, praise the Lord this morning. Thank you all for being here. Thank you.